brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Today is the Feast of the Holy Guardian Angels, a feast that we sometimes don't pay much attention to. I don't know why that is, so what better way to learn about that feast than by revisiting Dom Prosper Geringer, one of the greatest minds in the church in the modern era. He was doing his work in the 19th century, and he was combating the early modernists. So, here's from his work, The Liturgical Year. The Holy Guardian Angels by Don Prosper Geringer. Although the solemnity of the 27th of September celebrates the praises of all the nine glorious choirs, yet the piety of the faithful in the latter ages desired to have a special day consecrated to the guardian angels. Several churches have taken the initiative and kept the feast under various rites and on different days. Paul V authorized its celebration ad libitum. Clement X in 1670 established it by precept as a feast of double rite on the 2nd of October, the first day after Michaelmas, on which it thus remains in some way dependent. It is of faith on the testimony of the scriptures and of unanimous tradition that God commits to his angels the guardianship of men who are called to contemplate him together with these blessed spirits in their common fatherland. Catholic theology teaches that this protection is extended to every member of the human race without any distinction of just and sinners, infidels and baptized, to ward off dangers, to uphold man in his struggle against the demons, to awaken him in holy thoughts, to prevent him from sinning, and even at times to chastise him, to pray for him and to present his prayers to God. Such is the office of the guardian angel. So special is his mission that one angel does not undertake the guardianship of several persons simultaneously. So diligent is his care that he follows his ward from the first day to the last of his mortal existence, receiving the soul as it quits this life, and bearing it from the feet of the sovereign judge to the place it has merited in heaven, or to its temporary sojourn in the place of expiation and purification. It is from the lowest of the nine choirs, the nearest to ourselves, that the guardian angels are for the most part selected. God reserves to the seraphim, cherubim, and thrones the honor of forming his own immediate court. The dominations from the steps of his throne preside over the government of the universe. The virtues watch over the course of nature's laws, the preservation of species, and the movements of the heavens. The powers hold the spirits of wickedness in subjection. The human race in its entirety, as also its great social bodies, the nations and the churches, are confided to the principalities, while the archangels, who preside over smaller communities, seem also to have the office of transmitting to the angels the commands of God together with the love and light which come down even to us from the first and highest hierarchy. Oh, the depths of the wisdom of God! Thus then the admirable distribution of offices among the choirs of heavenly spirits terminates in the function committed to the lowest rank, the guardianship of man, for whom the universe subsists. Such is the teaching of the school, and the apostle, in like manner, says, Are they not ministering spirits sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation? But God, magnificent as he is towards the whole human race, honors in a special manner the princes of his peoples, those who are most favored by his grace, or who rule the earth in his name. The saints testify that a supereminent perfection, or a higher mission in church or state, ensures to the individual the assistance of a superior spirit, without the angels that was first deputed being necessarily removed from his charge. Moreover, with regard to the work of salvation, the guardian angel has no fear of being left alone at his post. At his request and at God's command, the troops of this blessed companion, who fill heaven and earth, are ever ready to lend him their aid. 
these noble spirits acting under the eye of God, whose love they desire to second by all possible means, have secret alliances between them, which sometimes induce between their clients even on earth, unions the mystery whereof will be revealed in the light of eternity. How profound a mystery, says Origen, is the apportioning of souls to the angels destined for their guardians. It is a divine secret, part of the universal economy centered in the man-god. Nor is it without ineffable order that the ministers of earth, the many departments of nature, are allotted to the heavenly virtues. Fountains and rivers, winds and forests, plants, living creatures of land and sea, whose various functions harmonize together by the angels directing them all to a common end. Again, on these words of Jeremiah's, how long shall the land mourn? Origen, supported by the authority of his translator, St. Jerome, continues. It is through each one of us that the earth rejoices or mourns, and not only the earth, but water, fire, air, all the elements, by which name we must here understand not insensible matter, but the angels who are set over all things on earth. There is an angel of the land who, with his companions, mourns over our crimes. There is an angel of the waters to whom are applied the words of the psalm, The waters saw thee, and they were afraid, and the depths were troubled. Great was the noise of the waters. The clouds sent out a sound, for thy arrows pass. How grand is nature viewed in this light! It is thus the ancients, more truthful as well as more poetical than our generation, always considered the universe. Their error lay in adoring these mysterious powers to the detriment of the only God, under whom they stoop that bear up the world. Air and earth and ocean, everything is full of angels, says St. Ambrose. Elysius, besieged by a whole army, felt no fear, for he beheld invisible cohorts assisting him. May the prophet open thine eyes also. May the enemy be he legion, not terrify thee. Though thou thinkest himself hemmed in, and thou art free, there are more with us than with them. But let us return to our own specially deputed angel and meditate on this other testimony. The noble guardian of each one of us sleeps not, nor can he be deceived. Close the door and make the darkness of night. But remember, thou art never alone. He has never no need of daylight in order to see thy actions. And who is it that speaks thus? not a father of the church, but one who is not even of our faith, this, the, the philosopher Epictetus. In conclusion, let us listen to the abbot of Clairvaux, who gives free rein to his eloquence. In every place show respect to thy angel. Let gratitude for his benefits incite thee to honor his greatness. Love this thy future cohair, the guardian appointed for thee by the father during thy childhood. For though we are sons of God, we are as yet but children, and long and dangerous is our journey. But God hath given his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt walk upon the asp and the basilisk, and thou shalt trample under the foot the lion and the dragon. Yet where the road is smooth enough for a child, they will content themselves with guarding thee. Sustaining thy footsteps as one does for children. But if trials threaten to surpass thy strength, they will bear thee up in their hands. O oh, those hands of angels, thanks to them what fearful straits we have passed through, as it were without thinking, and with no other impression left upon us than that of a nightmare suddenly dispelled. And in his commentary on the Canticle of Canticle, St. Bernard thus describes the triumph of the angels. One of the companions of the spouse sent from the heaven to the chosen soul's mediator on witnessing the mystery accomplished how he exults and says, I give thee thanks, O God of majesty, for having granted the desire of her heart. Now it was he that, as a persevering friend, had not ceased, on the way to murmur into the soul's ear, Delight in the Lord, and he will give thee the request of thy heart, and again expect the Lord and keep his way, and then, if he make any delay, wait for him, for he will surely come and will not tarry. Meanwhile he represented to our Lord the soul's desire, saying, 
As a heart panteth after the fountains of water, so this soul panteth after thee. O God, have pity on her, hear her cries, and visit her in her desolation. And now the faithful paranymph, the confident of the ineffable secrets, is not jealous. He goes from the spouse to the bride, offering desires, bringing back gifts. He incites the one, he appeases the other. Sometimes, even in this world, he brings them into each other's presence, either by raising up the bride in ecstasy or by bringing down the bridegroom, for he is one of the household and well-known in the palace, and he fears no rebuff, for every day he beholds the face of the Father. Blessed be ye, O holy angels, for that your charity is not wearied out by the crimes of men, among so many others' benefit. We thank you for keeping the earth habitable, by deigning to dwell always therein. Solitude often weighs heavily upon the hearts of God's children, in the great towns and in the paths of the world, where one meets only strangers or enemies. But if the number of the just grows less, yours never diminishes. In the midst of the excited multitude, as well as in the desert, not a human being that has not beside him an angel, the representative of universal providence over wicked and good alike. O blessed spirits, you and we have the same fatherland, the same thought, the same love. Why should the confused noises of a frivolous crowd disturb the heavenly life we may lead even now with you? Does the tumult of public places hinder you from holding your choirs there, or prevent the Most High from hearing your harmonies? We also, beholding by faith the face of our Heavenly Father, which you del ever delightedly contemplate, we wish to sing in every place the praises of our Lord, and to unite at all times our adorations with yours. Thus, when our manners have become altogether angelic, the present life will be full of peace, and we shall be prepared for eternity. Again, this was taken from his his famous work, The Liturgical Year. And the author was Don Prosper Geringer. He lived. He was he was working from 1841 to 1875, and he was a one of the one of the great minds of the church that has been in a lot of ways forgotten in our time. So I hope you found this helpful, and as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.